Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to get straight into the word because it bears heavily on my heart. Um, and it's essentially a, con- a continuation from last week. Last week, um, well, for the past few weeks, we were dealing with the subject of kingdom economics. And in recent times, we did a 10th session on sowing and reaping. And session 9 and 10, we focused on, in fact, session 6 to 10, we focused on why is it that people sow and do not reap? What are the hindering factors to anybody reaping? And we isolated several factors, one of which towards the latter part of that series was sleeping in harvest. Proverbs 10, I think 15, uh, declares that a son who sleeps in harvest is a disgraceful son. It is possible to come to a place called harvest and you're fast asleep. What then is sleeping in harvest? The scripture denotes what sleep is. And decodes it variously, one of which is the willful indulgence in sin for which you intend to be unrepentant and accommodative of within your life. So you're going to practice financial principles that are biblical, but yet there's an unwillingness to deal with a very, very serious sin or character flaws which have been highlighted, made known to you and yet you willfully continue therein. So Cain offers an offering to the Lord, remember? He offers an offering to the Lord. He and the offering is rejected by God. And immediately in the verses following, God says, if you do well, you will be accepted. But sin is crouching at your door, waiting to master you, but you must master it. And so we began, we, we left that, and then the Lord sovereignly, I believe, led us. Well, then how do we deal with this? How do we overcome the weaknesses of our flesh then? Okay. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you do tithe, mint, rue, common herbs, right? And, but you neglect the weightier matters. Everyone say weightier matters. There are far more weightier matters than financial issues. Jesus made that clear distinction. He said, you're practicing biblical financial principles and you're obedient there too, he said to the Pharisees, but you neglect Weightier things, more, more, more profound things, more significant things. And he mentioned a few like mercy, justice, the love of God, right? These you ought to have done, Jesus said, and not left the other undone. What is he saying? Biblical, your, or rather your, your obedience in financial principles can never ever substitute for your disobedience in other areas. Says this you ought to have done and not left the other undone. Okay? So money cannot hoodwink God uh, into not addressing key issues in your life that you need to pay very close attention to. And so we left that hanging. I explained that in great detail from various angles in the scripture. And then um, last week I felt the impulse of the Lord to go back to grace and to start focusing on the effects of grace, largely, especially in our context, 
when we taught grace, we focused on its essence and very little on its effects. I said to you, in essence, grace is the compositional makeup of God as spirit. But once that is in you, there's outcomes or effects. Certain over-demonstrable things in your life by which you can easily testify to this is the working of grace. One of those effects of grace in your life is that it enables obedience. Everyone say enables obedience. So in terms of its effects, grace could be defined as God's obedience-enabling power. Right? You cannot obey God without God. Okay? Tell someone you cannot obey God without God. So, I said to you, when God calls you to do a thing, so a requirement of God, He says, do this, and He commands you to, to, for, to do a specific task or to adopt a specific behavioral pattern. And God says, here's my expectation for you. And He issues that with a command from His Word. Please, I want to re-echo this. In every expectation of God is also vested the empowerment of God to get the thing done. So God never expects of you something for which He would not also to empower you to do it. At the end of the day, it's not really left to you. But He does require at least your inclination to obey. Does require at least your desire to obey Him. He is sovereign. He can do what He wants to when He wants to. Not so. But the sovereignty of God can never ever be understood outside of its cooperation with the will of men. I know that um, there's a view, a theological view out there right now that defines the sovereignty of God as something completely apart from and not consultant to free will. God gave me a will, but He is sovereign. He can override and do what He wants to when He wants to, not so. But in the sovereignty of God is programmed this fact that He has chosen to, to, to bind, if you would, His sovereignty into the choice of man to cooperate with Him to do a thing. Okay? So He said to the, 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 the spies, go in and spy Canaan. Remember after 11 days journey, they came to the southern part of Canaan. First city was Hebron, remember? And they sent the spies to spy the land. How many spies came back with a good report? Two. How many with a negative report? Ten. Right? Ten said we can't. Two said we can. Did God want to? Yes or no? God wanted to, but God's sovereign will was hamstrung by the, the choice of men in that specific context. Right? So God does nothing. There's a lovely verse I think it's in Amos 3.8, if my memory serves me correct. Look at verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing. Now, can God do anything? But He can, He will do nothing unless, but He revealeth His secret to His servants, the, the prophets. So, the Lord God, who is sovereign, can do nothing unless He reveals it to His servants, the prophets. Prophets. So, prophetic agencies on the earth, prophetic people, must be perceptive of what he wants to do 
outside of revealing it to them and requiring their cooperation, God does, God does nothing, okay? So now, listen carefully. You might feel, wow, you know, God has called me to do so much. It's so big, it's so beyond me. I cannot even live a holy life um, by, to any degree of consistency. This expectation of God upon me is too much, it's too high. I want to just demonstrate to you as I did last week. I'm going to continue with this vein. What God requires for you to do, He will empower you to do. In the expectation of God is also the empowerment of God. That is called His grace. When His grace is present in you, it drives you to obedience. So that at the end of the day, once you've obeyed, it could be said, it was all God, not you, although He required your cooperation in the same. And I won't go to the verses. There's a bunch of verses that say this. That when grace operates within a man, and that man comes to the place of obedience, having pleased God, the text says that glory might go to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. I am what I am by the, by the grace of God. I work. Come on, say it loud. Yet not I. Say it loud. Yet not I. So there must be a yet not I phrase in your life. He says, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm working harder, he says, than all the apostles. It's not really me, but he says, grace that is with me. So just remind your neighbor and say, it's not left entirely up to you. Yeah. This is a, I'm letting you into secrets. Because some people say the Christian life is so hard. The commandments of the Lord are burdensome. This is too much to carry, too much to bear. Well, you haven't learned the secret of living life by grace. You haven't learned the secret of accessing this grace, tapping into it. Now, I got oh, something like 30 sessions on grace on my website. Uh, please, I want to encourage you, if, this, if these topics are new to you, I want to encourage you to study it. There's PDF notes and audio, and audio files there that you can really listen and understand then if what I need is grace, how do I increase the grace? How do I increase my grace allotment? In various ways, which I won't go through now. But you need grace to give you that edge. You need grace to give you that advantage. I have been um, so confronted with the weaknesses of my own mortality, the weaknesses of my own humanity in recent times. And I've been saying to God, it cannot be left entirely to me. And as I meditated upon all these verses in the past two or three weeks, the Lord is saying, if you simply incline yourself, I will do it through you. So Jesus prayed in the garden and said, "Not uh, take this cup of suffering. I don't want to go to the cross. Take this cross away from me. So there was a, a, a momentary human lapse, or rather a lapse in his humanity in terms of, this is too much, too much to bear. But what did he say? Never the, ne, not my will, but your will be done. And listen, that's inclination. That's in bending towards the world. Tell your neighbor, bend towards the world. Right? It's like you don't want it. Jesus went through. He knew what it is. This is going to be tough, a tough call, but I bend towards pleasing you. And the moment you start just bend, incline, at least one, two, I want to. Tell your neighbor, I want to. 
You know, Jesus, it said of, uh, David said in Psalm 40, he said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. There must be a want to. There must be a delight to pleasing God. And the moment you want to, grace kicks in to empower you to do it. Right? And I, I told you last week, Hebrews 2, 8 and 9 says that he tasted death. How? Come on, you were here last week, for those of you who were. How did Jesus taste death? says he tasted death by the grace of God. He was able to go through it purely being uh, driven, facilitated, fueled, if you would, propelled by something which God afforded to him because of his desire to do a very difficult task, the cross. God says, I will give you the requisite grace so you can do the thing that I've called you to do. Now, who needs that grace? Who needs more of that? Am I both hands and both feet are up? God, I need this. I need a download of new grace so that I obey you and I will do the thing you called me to do, however hard or costly it might be. At the end of the day, once it's done, it could be said of me, it was not Randolph. I will have my yet not I phrase. Come on, yet not I. Bruce, you need to write a song, yet not I. Eh? Yet not I. Right? Yet not I, but grace that is with me. I pray the eyes of your understanding be open today. Listen, you've got to be aware. My, my thing is, if you're not aware of this, it's not going to work. It's not going to be, be conscious of your need for grace and its transformative power within your life. Okay? I won't go through all the scriptures that we, we mentioned um, last week. 1 John 5, 3, before, we, before I give you several examples of this, 1 John 5, 3 says, it is the, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. I want you to say that after me. Say it loud. His commandments, come on, say it with conviction. His commandments are not burdensome. God won't put a heavies on you. Right? To use a colloquial. God's will is not heavy for you. That you say in your flesh, this Christian life, too much. I can't live this way. You're thinking in your capacity. You're thinking in your ability. You've got to leave your capacity and think within the capacity that the grace of God affords you. Okay? In grace, anything is possible. Right? In grace, all is possible. In grace, anything, anything is possible. I'm going to fly through some scriptures. Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 says, Deuteronomy 10 verse 16, Circumcise your heart. Can you see that? Who must circumcise your heart? You must. You circumcise your heart. But Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, 30 verse 6 says, the Lord, moreover, the Lord will circumcise your heart. So, who is doing the circumcision? You are the Lord. Because the first command says, you do it. Later on, God says, the Lord will. It's always, this principle I want to leave with you, it's always God. But it requires responsibility and cooperation from your part. And the moment you bend and incline towards it, He kicks in. To do it for you. Ezekiel 18 verse 31 says the following. Ezekiel 18 31. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel 
not Ezra, Ezekiel 18, 31. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. 18, 31. Make for yourselves. So who must make it? You must. And then Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a, a new heart and I will put my spirit within you. So God, there's an expectation of God saying, you make for yourself a new heart. Then God says, I will give you a, a new heart. My point is, in every commandment, listen, listen to the key. Whatever God expects of you, He will do it. You do what he says. You circumcise your heart. The Lord will circumcise. You make for yourself a new heart. The Lord will give you a, a new heart. Look at this one. Philippians, uh, John 3, 7. Let's look at this one. It's a very easy one. A well-known verse, John 3, 7. You must be born again. John 3, 7. You must be born again. You must. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, God caused you to be born again. You must, but who is the cause? God caused you to be born again. Okay? According to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a new and a living uh, uh, hope, it says. Okay? Philippians 2, 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling work your own salvation out who must work it you must work it but what does the next verse say for it is verse 13 for it is god who is at work in you so who's working god says you work it because i'm at work right so it's not left to you uh, the moment you incline and you you take responsibility you're going to access my already made provision for you to do it for you on your behalf, okay? Do it, for it is God who is working through you. First Corinthians 15, verse 10. Uh, this is my favorite, one of my favorite grace scriptures. First Corinthians 15, verse 10. This one you know. Paul says, I labored more than them all. But just track with me. He says, I labored. And in the latter part of the verse, he says, yet not I. How can you, but yet it's not you. He says, it's grace that is with me. Grace doesn't make you lazy. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't go out and say, oh, now wow, it's all God, not me. And then you become irresponsible. You become casual, laissez-faire. Hey, Sarah, Sarah, what must be, must be. It's all to him and not left to me. No, he does. I want to emphasize, he does require your cooperation. But the moment you bend and incline, he kicks in with His work, He kicks in with His grace, and He makes amazing things uh, possible and available to you. Now, in, I found, you know, I was trying to track this throughout the week, and there are too many to list here. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Timothy and 1 Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy are two of my favorite New Testament books. Right? 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, this is a father speaking to his son. Oh, Timothy, God, what has been entrusted to you? Who must God? Timothy must God. What has been entrusted to him? I won't uh, have time to fully explain it, but it was the gospel. 
the gospel truth, the gospel message. Paul was on his way out, as you know. Um, beheading faced him. He was facing his death. And he was transferring the custody of the gospel to a son. It was like a treasure that a father gives to his son upon his death. He says, Timothy, I give this charge to you. God and protected. You God and you protected. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says that he, for, these, for this reason, I suffer these things, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he is able to God. Who is able to God? Come on, talk to me, church. Who is able to God? God. He says, he is able to God that which I have entrusted to him. Lest Timothy feels overwhelmed. Wow, I have this awesome task of the custodian and I'm the guardian. Oh, Timothy, listen carefully. Oh, Timothy, God. And then he writes a second letter. He says, I've entrusted it to you, but I've really entrusted it to him. To God using you. Timothy, you God, what I've entrusted to you by allowing him to guard it in you. So I'm just using these examples. Say this to your neighbor. So it's not left entirely to you. Lest you feel overwhelmed. Sure. I, you know, I think, remember this is the second letter. Watch, this is 2 Timothy chapter 1. We've just finished read 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's how Paul ended his letter to Timothy in the previous letter. God, that which I've entrusted to you. And I think the apostle, knowing the temperament of Timothy, Timothy was shy. Timothy was a reclusive. A recluse. Timothy receded away from serious responsibilities. Temperamentally, he, he tended to be ashamed. Paul wrote so many times, do not be ashamed of me. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was young. And Paul says, let no man despise your youth. He was very sick. Who'd like a leader like this? Come on, your leader's always sick every time. <coughs> I come in here, cough, or half dying. Right? I'm weak, I'm shy, I recede back, I'm non-confrontational. You would think that's why it's by grace and not by human effort. By all accounts, Timothy is not your, your, your wouldn't be the greatest selection choice for most leadership today. But God selected that man. Right? So, God must entrust it and guard it through you. Look at one more, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 14. And when he, 2 Timothy chapter 1, what did I say? 14, right? God, he says, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now, Timothy must be scratching his head. So, please, my spiritual father, what is it? Is it entrusted to God or to me? Right? It's entrusted to God using you as the custodian of his treasure. You guard it, but you've got to tap into his guardianship. To watch over it. Right? I just, I'm saying this because God has called some of you to great things. And you're looking at the task and saying, wow, how on earth can I fulfill this? Not left entirely to you. Tap into the grace. By the power of the Holy Ghost in you, you'll be able to do what God has called you to do. Don't be overwhelmed by the, magnum, by, by, by the bigness of the task. 
Don't be overawed by, wow, what God has called me to do. Right? No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't be overawed. Let me just say this. I sense prophetically that God's going to lead some of you into very big things. And I'll, I'll give you a case study in a moment, should time permit. God's going to lead you into very, very big things. Hear me by the Spirit. And when, when the task comes to be laid upon you, don't say, I cannot. Say, I can by the grace of God. So after I've done it, it will be said, it was not me, but I've just tapped into grace that did it through me. I can guard the gospel, Timothy. Timothy, you can guard the gospel, Paul is saying to his son. I entrust it to you, although really I've entrusted it to him. So you guard to the Holy Ghost that which is entrusted to God, but really left in your care. So he will do it in and through you. Whenever you're facing a difficulty, an impossible, even the young children here, you guys face some challenges in your life sometimes, don't you? At school? Things are bad at school, right? <laughs> They're saying yes. <laughs> Everyone say, by grace. By grace you can overcome. Right? When, when you think, wow, even, even an a academic problem, a math problem, whichever, say, God, this is hard, but I'll, I will learn, I will study, I will try my best, use my mind, but I need your grace to help me. Right? Not just for, for, for school problems, for any problem in life. Even for the adults, I want to encourage you. It's by the grace of God all the time. I'm saying 2018 must be a grace-enriched year. It must be grace-sufficient, not grace-deficient. I don't know about you. I'm saying to, I'm crying out to God for more grace almost daily. I'm saying, God, um, left to myself, there's a measure of success and a ceiling to it that we cannot go beyond. We will reach it, but never go beyond. So I need, to, I need your grace. And this is not for, for pride or for people to pat us on the back to make a name for ourselves. We simply want to do your will. Simply want to get the job done, but by the grace of God. Okay? What are you, O mountain? Zechariah? Just go to it. I think it's Zechariah 4. Zerubbabel is the, the person that's in charge of the building project. He's an apostolic type. They're about to finish the temple, finish, and the, 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 the building task is halted because of opposition from surrounding nations. Okay? God raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. That's why those two books must be read together. It raises up two prophets, and the prophet prophesies to the apostle to finish the work. But he speaks to a mountain, right? Everyone say mountain. It's not just any mountain, it's great mountain. In this context, a mountain speaks to an obstacle in the way of the task of the completion of the building. Jesus said in the New Testament, you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. So, in the Old Testament counterpart of that New Testament passage, the prophet Zechariah says, what are you? Oh, great mountain, right? What are you? Okay, I was privy to an argument between two people. The one person said to the other one, oh, who do you think you are? And what the response of the other person says, I know who I think I am, but what do you think you are? That's like a really below the belt. He asks, who? He says, but what do you think you are? Reducing him below the per as a person. So everyone say, What? What is the mind of Zechariah when he says what to a mountain? What is he saying? You're big and bold now. You're imposing, but I regard you as a what. But what do you think you 
Oh, what, oh great mountain, what do you think you are? Before the apostle, before the apostolic leader, Zerubbabel, you will become flattened. Zoop, a plane to walk on. Now you're representing a, a, an obstacle in the way of progress. You're going to be flattened as a plane to walk on. And he, Zerubbabel, the leader, will bring forth the top stone. Everyone say top stone. King James says capstone. Capstone is the last stone that builders put on a building to signify its completion. Everyone say completion. So he's building his house. He's completing the house. How he's going to do it, it says, not whispers. How do you shout? You girls, how do you shout? You, well, you've got lungs, you guys. (laughs) Okay. How do you shout? Shout for me. Say grace. Come on, you can. Say grace. Grace. (laughs) Say grace, grace. You see, it's not a whisper of one grace. It's shouts of double grace. It's not grace. It's grace, grace. Right? Meaning, there must be, it speaks to the measure of grace that is given to someone that's intent upon a kingdom assignment, a task God has called him to do. There are obstacles in the way, but what's going to clear out the obstacle is grace. So bump your neighbor and say, what you need is more grace. Every obstacle will be obliterated by the, by the presence of the grace of God. We wrote that song a few years ago. He was building his house with shouts of grace, grace to it, to the house, to that which you want to be um, completed in God. Okay. Psalm 127 verse 1. Okay, one or two more examples in a case study, then we'll close. One twi- Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord watches over the, or guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So, listen carefully. Leaders are expected to build a house, but it is God who builds the house through them. You can build in vain. There is something called laboring in vain. This is a, a very, very bad scenario because it presents the possibility of you building something, but it's vanity. It means absolutely nothing in terms of God's eternal assessment of things. So what we must do, we must do by God's will. You can be successful. Listen carefully. You can be successful in many things with no eternal weight and value. But we want to be successful in the things that God has determined we engage ourselves in. But we labor, not in vain, if God is working in and through us. Okay? We labor, but it's really God laboring in and through us. Look at Mark 16 and verse 20. If you're taking notes, Mark 16 and verse 20. Watch. They went out and preached everywhere. Who preached? They. Everyone say they, the apostles, right? They went out, they preached. While the Lord worked with them, doing what? Confirm the word with signs and wonders that that followed. I love this text. They went out. They taught. They preached. Signs and wonders following. At the end of the day, there was an invisible force behind the scenes. It's called God working with them. God working with them. 
Tell your neighbor what you need is God working with you. I'm telling you guys, if we don't have this dynamic in whatever you're doing, even in your business, in your work, in your place of your employment, you do what you do because that's the area of your impact, your sphere of influence. Do what you must do, but make sure what you're building is not in vain. All your efforts are really God working in and, and through you. And my prayer, I really, really, really prayed. I said, God, maybe I'm ineligible to preach this message. I really felt like that this week. Honestly, I'm speaking my heart. I said, Lord, if ever I feel disqualified to preach a message, it's this one. Because while I have certain trappings of this kind of reality with my life and ministry, I said, God, it's nowhere near what I think biblically should, should be apparent within our lives. I felt a bit disqualified. And the moment I felt that, I just heard the Lord say this late last night to me. I have two messages up here, just in case. <laughs> I was, we'll talk to next week about how God is our grace to help in time of need. Trying to preach, God gave me a very strong message about grace to help. Listen, this one I felt, Lord, I'm not there yet. God says, I'm so, I heard the Lord say to me, so glad you feel that way. Because now my grace can work in you. So if not you there, just stand, just provide your mouth, your brain, and let me speak to you. So it's not you, it's God. Okay? But when you feel you can't, grace can. When you feel disqualified, grace qualifies you. Paul says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I kill Christians. But I am what I am by the grace works best when you can't. Grace works best within the context of human weakness. Grace works most ideally when you are reduced to nothing. So it's all grace and not works. doesn't make you lazy. You will labor. But the propulsion is the grace of God working in and through you. Okay, two more examples in a case study. I'm dying to get to this case study, but the Lord's not leading me there yet. Listen carefully. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. I was up fairly early, obviously, to sort of look out. Couldn't go to bed after that, so I decided to add a few more examples. I said, Lord, show me more about this, this principle in your word. And the Lord reminded me of this, this passage. First Thessalonians 5, 21 says, Examine everything. Everyone say examine. Hold fast to that which is good. Say hold fast. Who must do these things? You. Examine everything. Test everything. Hold fast. Cleave to that which is good. Look at the next verse. Abstain from every appearance or form of evil. So we have commands like uh, examine, hold fast, and abstain. Whose responsibility are those? It's ours, right? Yours and mine. We must do that. And then there's a strange verse that comes next in verse 23. It says, How, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely or entirely. Three parts of you. May your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now you might say, you will sweat is dripping by now, right? You're saying, shoot, tall order. Me. Spirit, soul, body, complete, pure, blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that a tall order? Like you, you're sweating now. All the stress on you. So you examine everything. You hold fast that which is good. You stay away from all forms of evil. Then Paul says, your responsibility recruits his 
response. Human responsibility recruits a divine response. Then God says, now the God of what? The God of peace sanctify you wholly or entirely, spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved blamelessly at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And lest, lest you are left to despair beyond any measure of hope that this would be attainable, the next verse says something powerful. Verse 24 says, watch, faithful. Say faithful. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. One version says, faithful is he who called you, who to himself will also do it for you. You must do it, but he's doing it for you. Consistently, you'll see this, this, this trend within the, within the New Testament. The expectation of God but simultaneously the empowerment of, of God to do it. Lazarus, come forth. A dead man heard God. A dead man woke up and obeyed the word of God. You see, in the command of God is life. That no matter what aspect in you is dead, by the, by the expression of that word, life is given to you. So abstain, examine yourself. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from evil. When God commands, in the command is life to do it. God says, I will, I will sanctify you spirit, soul, and body. Oh, by the way, he reminds you, I am faithful. Come on, I am faithful. I myself, I like this. You know, this really, really put, took the, the stress off me. So, Lord... I'm going to allow some space for grace to work. Maybe I'm clouding the room too much with my efforts. Allow some room for you to have your way. I will incline. I will be responsible. I will, I will not behave with any form of indiscretion, unwisely or whichever. I will watch myself. I will try to live a holy life. I'll stay away from evil. Yes, God, the moment I do that, your grace kicks in to fuel that process. Faithful is he who called you, who himself will also not do it. One last example of this thing. There are many others, but I want to get to a case study before we leave. First Peter, sorry, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, the latter part of this portion says, keep yourself free from sin. Repeat after me, keep yourself free. Keep yourself free from sin. First Peter 1 Verse 5. Look at this in the King James, I think, or New King James. 1 Peter 1, verse 5. Okay? Who are kept how? We are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. How are we kept according to this verse? Come on, talk to me. How are you kept? Say the power of God. So the text says in Timothy, keep yourself. Peter, Peter says, you are kept how? You're kept by the power of God. The moment you incline responsibly to keep yourself, God keeps you. You access the keeping power of God when you commit to keep yourself. At the end of the day, it's not you keeping you. It's God keeping you, but you being responsible in the same. Right? The whinings used to whine. <laughs> A song, 
uh, they were my favorite gospel group. You know, when we were youth growing up, they were probably a very famous gospel group, and we used to sing all their songs. I'll never forget this song. It's good to know, they said, the, the lyrics go, it's good to know he'll be there whenever I fall. But it's better to know that I don't have to fall at all. He's able, you don't have to fall at all because he's able to, to keep you. And look where they wrote the song from, Jude. Look at, look at the text in Jude. Jude chapter 1 and verse, let's read from verse 21. This is the last text before the case study. Keep yourselves. Who's keeping who? It says, you keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look at verse 24, how he ends it. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling. Who is able to keep you? God is, right? Come on. You know, we often reference the ability of God in so many respects. God is able to heal. He's able to deliver. He's able to save. I want to show you today God is able to keep you from stumbling. From falling, the King James says. And to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding, with exceeding joy. Right? So, it really brings me into rest to know this. I'm telling myself, I will never backslide. Say after me, I will not backslide. I will say, I will never leave God. Repeat after me, say, He is able to keep me. I know the text says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves from evil. But as I take that, it's He who is keeping me. And I love this text. This is one of my favorite texts. To present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Look at the next verse. One of Paul, or rather Jude's, famous um, praise expressions to the Lord. To the God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. When you think about these realities in reference to God, you cannot but erupt with praise. Not so? You say, God, it's up to you. If I lift my hand to the only God, my Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be the glory majesty, honor, dominion, and power, both now and for forevermore. Amen. So it's not left to me. It's left up to, to Him. Um, come unto me, Matthew, what's it, 11, 28. Come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, I'm meek and I'm lowly in in heart. Don't take upon yourself a yoke for which God has not called you to do, for then you're working something not in His will, and there's no grace for that. God is not obliged to afford you grace for which He has not called you to do that specific thing. His grace always attends the work that He has called you to. Be it your job, be it your vocation, be it your ministry calling, there is there is Great hope and grace for that. Can we do a quick case study? I wanted to do two, but we only have time for one. Gideon, I thought of a lot this week. Gideon faced a formidable 
enemy in the nation of Midian. Not so. In the nation of Midian. And God calls him. Now look at Judges chapter 6. And I want to close with this and pray for us. This is for me is extremely encouraging. And you're going to see how all of these principles actually work. In fact, let's read from verse 12. For years, what book is this, by the way? Judges. Do you know in the book of Judges, there was no kings. The monarchy was not established in Israel yet. After the book of Judges, we get the book of Ruth, four chapters. And how did the book of Ruth start? Now, in the days when the judges ruled, Ruth 1.1, there was a famine in the land. This is a, an, in, an inaccurate, to some degree, expression of leadership, the judges were. Because the legacy of the judges, at the end of the book of Judges, the last chapter, the last verse is, and now every man did what was right in his own eyes. So there was no principles of righteousness, rectitude established. The kings did that. Like People like David would come like after First and Second Samuel in anointed as king, the, the, the line of the kings, ultimately the greatest king, Jesus. But come back before that time, God was gracious to the nation. He would raise up people like Samson, great judge, uh, Gideon, great judge, Barak, uh, Jephthah, and others, right? Uh, more than 13 or 14 or so judges in the book of Judges. As long as the judge was alive, Israel prospered, they served God. The moment the guy died, they went back into idolatry, God had to raise up other nations to deal with them, and so forth. So the book of Judges is like a yo-yo book. It's like up, down, up, oh, up. All 24 chapters of it. Up, down. So come here in chapter 6. The nation's crying, God, why you left us to suffer such affliction at the hands of these Midianites? So God got his eye on a man called Gideon to deliver them from Midianite oppression. So this is how the Lord comes to him. The Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. O valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord. He's like, O oh my Lord. He's not, O oh my Lord. He's, oh my. He's touching his head, right? O oh my Lord. That's, that's how you must read this. O oh my Lord. Big heavy on me. You've just labeled me as a valiant Warrior. King James says, mighty man of valor. He says, Wumi? Oh my Lord. That, that's the, how you must read this. Right? Oh my Lord. Huh? He says, if the Lord is really with us, why then has all this happened to us? He's asking the angel, where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? He's pulling back out files from Exodus, this guy. Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now, I'm not worried about history. Now, what's happening now? He says, but now, the Lord has abandoned us and He's given us to the hand of Midian. I'm glad for what you did through Moses and how you dealt with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He says, but I'm not happy to keep recounting your goodness historically when in my time, there's no contemporary testimony. Who feels like that sometimes? You know, people say, remember the days of old, right? For those of us who are the Sims of God background, they always say, remember the green doors. Green doors was the garage where the Sims of God in Wentworth first started under Pastor Lafoy. It used to happen there, I, uh, I wasn't there, but it used to happen. 
power of God, miracles. Let me just say this to you. What God did in the past does not substitute for what He wants to do now. Have your own testimony of the goodness of God. I want to say this to you very, very prophetically to all of you today. God wants to give you a great testimony. Not something that you can reference in your past, but something current, something contemporary, something now that you can reference as a point of reference and to encourage others in your future. Yeah? Come on, whose hands up? I need a great testimony. I need like the kind of uh, deliverance from Pharaoh, <laughs> Egypt kind of, like dramatic stuff must happen, you know. The Bible says, with a mighty hand he led them forth. What the Bible says, 600, at least 600,000 Israelites journeyed out. Not so, they left. You know what the Bible says about dogs? You know, it says not even a dog barked. Read it, it's in the Bible. You know dogs are barking? I got two beautiful new dogs. They're like three and four months old, giving me stress beyond measure because they're messing my yard up big time. They're just two unruly children. Right? And they bark at everything that moves. The Bible says not one Egyptian dog barked when 600,000 people decided to leave the land. God shut up the mouth of barking, barking dogs. <laughs> yeah. You know what dogs are? Religious spirits. I won't have time to prove this, but they represent religious spirits. I believe the Lord's saying to you prophetically, God's going to shut up the mouth of some barking dogs in your life that, that, that speak almost disparagingly and are waiting for your downfall. It's like what God did was so impressive with Israel, even the dogs were amazed. <laughs> and what are the bark? <gasps> this is too glorious. So many. Maybe one or two we can bark, but yo! Imagine the dogs. The dogs had a conference that day. They call a conference somewhere. Let's get together to analyze what happened here. None of us balked. Not one balked. <laughs> the conference was called, Will We Bark Again? <laughs> Will we ever bark again? So, that's how he's feeling. Watch, the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this. Everyone say, Your strength. God said to him, now go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midian. Have I not sent you? Have I not sent you? Check his response. Again, oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Notice, go in this, say your strength. So who's the focus on? Gideon, the man, valiant warrior. God said to him, Go in this, your strength, I will deliver Midian through you. He says, oh Lord, shall I deliver Israel? And then he gives uh, the, his ineligibility to do the task. He says, I'm disqualified for the following reasons. My family is the least in Manasseh. And by the way, I'm the youngest in my father's house. He's really saying, if there's a pile, I'm right at the bottom. By the way, you know the history of Manasseh. Remember, who was the father? Joseph had two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim was the, Manasseh was the firstborn. Ephraim was the secondborn. When Joseph brought the two sons to his father Jacob, for Jacob to impart the blessing to them, 
He positioned uh, Ephraim, or Manasseh, the oldest, at the right hand of Joseph, and Ephraim at the left hand for his, for his father to pray over his grandchildren and impart the blessing. The important point is the right hand would go to the firstborn, the eldest, and impart the blessing and the right, the authority of firstborn sonship. Firstborns had double portion of their father's estate. But when Joseph brought the boys, Jacob is blind, can't see anything, and the Bible says he wittingly, knowingly, crossed his hands. Put the right hand on Ephraim and the left hand on Manasseh. Transferring firstborn birthright privilege away from Manasseh to Ephraim. Because Manasseh means God has caused me to forget. Two meanings of Manasseh. God has caused me to forget the troubles. And secondly, God has caused me to forget my father's house. Now, you can't occupy firstborn status if your whole disposition about you is to forget your father's house. Manasseh represents a disqualified firstborn son. So you must think, think now when this guy is saying, by the way, do you know which tribe I come from? I'm coming from Manasseh, the excluded one from firstborn status. If anyone is disqualified for this task, God, I think you're knocking on the wrong door here. Go to someone in Judah maybe. Or go to all those warriors. Right? But you're coming to the least of the tribes. Manasseh, noch al. In Manasseh, in my family, my family is the least of all, 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 all the clans. In my family, I'm the least of my family. At least take someone above. We know God was trying to prove to him, although I said I will deliver Midian through you, it's not really up to you. That's why I chose you, because you're the most disqualified to use. You know what the Bible says? God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the, the wise, that the excellency might be of God and not of men. Yeah? So, if you are chosen, ask your neighbor, you are chosen? Tell your neighbor, God chooses the foolish things. <laughs> That's what it says. Um, I don't mean that disparagingly. All God is saying, it says, it says in the same passage with that verse is found that it says the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Right? God chooses you because He knows that left to you, you could never do it on your own strength. It has to be Him through, through you. Okay? Let's just finish, read this quickly. Verse 16. Then the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as, with, as one man. Imagine the awesome task. An historical enemy like Midian. You're going you're gonna to deal with them through me as with? Like you're one man going to sort his own nation out? But God promises him, it's not left to you. It's my grace in you. For I will be with you. That's why Gideon felt so overawed by the task. Now say it loud. Who me? Whenever I think of Gideon, I always say it loud in my mind. Who me? Guys asking, you sure you're knocking on the right door? You sure am I the right guy for the task? Who me? God says, yes, you. I know you're, you have so many things against you, but it will be me working in you. If you harness, listen, brethren, if you focus on that. All the young people here, God's going to use you greatly. But whenever God calls you to do a, a great thing, Jaden, God calls and you feel like, 
hey, this thing is too big for me. You must say, God, your grace, not me. Your grace, not me. And let the grace of God do it in and, and through you. Now check what happens. I'll just read one text and bring this to a close. Verse 22. How does God sort Gideon out? The Bible says, Gideon saw that the angel, it was the angel of the Lord, and said, Alas, O Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Everyone say, Peace to you. Peace to you. Do not fear. You will not die. Then the Lord, then this is what happened. Verse 24. Gideon built an altar and the Lord, sorry, to the Lord, and he named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it's in Oprah of the Abyssalites. Okay, I'll just bring this to a close. What does Midian mean? Strife. The word Midian means contention, strife, argument, schismatic, always divisions. This nation seeks to be contentious, always fighting, argumentative, schismatic. We know some people like that. They thrive on drama. They, they, they're not content that people are getting on. There must be a spoke in the wheel somewhere. Right? I've got a very powerful testimony that came forth from our fast to share with you. But you'll have to wait for next week. Right? Extremely powerful. It was the main thing I fasted for. And God gave me the answer to it. I'm not lying. And Renee knows. Whenever I pray for the past three years, the first thing I would mention to the Lord is this matter. Beyond anything I would pray. There was something burdening. And the Lord gave me the resolution to my heart. The Lord said to me, the way you confront contention, the way you deal with strife in the other, you approach the other in the opposite spirit. Right? How is Gideon going to deal with Midian, which means strife? How does God come to him? Peace. What kills strife? Peace. You see, how did God come to Abram? The Lord is provision. Jehovah, Jireh on the mount. God did not come to Abram as Jehovah is peace, Jehovah Shalom. This is the first time you'll see the word Jehovah Shalom in the Bible. It's here. This revelation was given to Gideon. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is provision, was given to Abram in his context. In this man's context, God came to him in a specific way. Watch, listen carefully. How God comes to you to reveal certain aspects of his nature to you is designed to empower you with the same nature to be successful in your assignment. So the way you deal with the moment Gideon says, wow, God is peace. The Bible says as we behold him, we become like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So did Gideon see God as peace? Yes or no? Did. So whatever he saw of God, he became. The nature of God became his so, God is very fair. God doesn't just say, you are going to set Israel free. You are going to deliver my people from the Midianites who are intent of strife, contention. God says, I will deal with them, with you as with one man. I call you, almighty man of valor, with all your excuses. Why you cannot, but I call you. God doesn't just leave the man there. Again, God says, boom, look at me. Who am I? Peace. He sees that, and what he sees, he imbibes that same nature. The nature of God, which is the grace of God, becomes his. And then he rises. You know, I love the story of Gideon. You must read the narrative. 
how he leads. Remember 32,000 first? And he whittles down the army to what? You know, God really dealt with this man to prove it's not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, but by the grace of, of God. And what does 300 represent? Oneness. Remember the dream, the one loaf in the camp of the money. Oneness. Watch, watch, listen carefully. When God said to him, I will deal with Midian as with you, as with one man. He wasn't talking about Gideon. He was talking about the one man, 300 company that will support him. Sometimes when God commissions you, he doesn't give you the full picture of all the variables he's going to bring to your aid once you say yes and you start embarking upon the path of obedience. Say yes. Who knows what awaits you? You get the bigness of what overwhelms you in terms of what God expects you to do. But the moment you say yes, God is very faithful to disclose His nature to you in a very specific way in reference to your assignment so that that's imparted to you. Right? I wrote on Facebook this morning, or late last night, I think it was, something like, you cannot defeat an enemy with the spirit of the enemy. You've got to defeat the enemy in the opposite spirit to which the enemy comes to you. The spirit by which you function must be antithetical, opposite to. It's not just opposite to, it's superior authoritatively to how the enemy comes to you. That's why the Bible says, a soft answer does what to wrath? Turns away wrath. You don't meet wrath with wrath. You have fireworks. A soft answer is able to neutralize and turn away, and turn away wrath. When Gideon arose, he became the embodiment of peace. Watch, and what kills strife? Peace. What destroys Midianite contention? Peace. He became the representation of peace when he led those 300. And did they fight at all? No. They just held pitches and trumpets, remember? And the, the Lord caused ambushments in the ranks of the enemy, and they sorted each other out. Hey, Gideon says, oh, now he's saying, oh, Lord God. <laughs> now the old Lord God's changed, right? That's, now it's a different, God is teaching him secrets. God is arming you for victory. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encourage you, but I'm encouraging myself in the Lord as well. <laughs> really, I am simultaneously. I know the Lord's leading us along a particular path, and sometimes I say, no, God, not me, not there, not that long. No, 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 no. The Lord says, you're right where I want you. Uh, because if you're simply healed, I will work through you. Keep in prayer. Keep in fasting. Keep beholding me in my word because that's how I'll reveal myself to you. And as you see more of me, you'll be changed. And you'll confront the enemy with a changed divine nature. And that will get the job done for you. Amen. You know what they said, by the way, when Gideon said, shout. What did they shout? They said, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. Remember? One, one of the portions they said, they shouted for the Lord and for Gideon. It's not just Gideon. It's the Lord in Gideon. His men shouted for the Lord and for Gideon. Amen? Come on, tell your neighbor what you need is grace. Amen? Come, let's stand. Let's stand. God is calling you to do some things for which you're least qualified to do. This is a very serious word to us. 
I say to you, Gideon, almighty man of valor. The Lord wants to deliver whole groups of people through you. The Lord wants to empower you to be effective in your calling. Don't say, who me? I'm the least. Look at my family line. Look at my history. I'm the least qualified to do big things, God. God says, yes, I call the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. In your weakness, my strength will be made perfect. Don't be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the task. Because God is very faithful. Faithful is He who calls you, who Himself will also do it. Faithful is He who called you, who will Himself also do it. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to present you faultless before the glory of His presence with great joy. He is able. Say aloud with me. Say, God, you are able. Come on, say it again. God, you are able to keep me, to resource me, to empower me, to enable me according to your might. In Jesus' name. Lift your hands. God, in Jesus' name, loving Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you. Your word says that in weakness, strength is perfected. That your grace is sufficient for us. I ask that you would strengthen your church even now. In the weakness of our mind, in thinking that we can't, but grace can. Your grace can through us. I pray great grace and peace, our Father, be imparted to everyone who is listening. I ask in Jesus' name, O oh God, for those here present, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will grant more grace, added grace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shouts of grace, grace to you to complete the thing that God has called you to do. Shouts of grace, grace to you, Son of God, to be successful in your assignment, to be successful in the thing that God called you to. Shouts of grace to you. Grace be multiplied to you, to every single one of you, children, adults, young and old included. May the Lord grant you the requisite grace that you would need to be effective in what He has called you to do. Father, we declare today that your commandments are not burdensome. What you expect is not hard. Your commandments are not hard, but by the grace of God, we are able to please you and function in and through your grace to do it. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would bring forth great testimonies. I pray there will be a rising up from weakness. Lord, I pray there will be a rising up from excuses. No more, we can't, we can't, we can't, we are unable, disqualified. Lord, we, we don't lay great store by our own uh, ability, credibility eligibility to do this or that today we lay it all aside we count everything but dung oh god it's nothing today we, we we rely exclusively upon the grace of god it's your grace that we so cherish and so need let your grace be active now in the life of the church i pray on behalf of your father i bless you the lord bless you the lord keep you the lord cause his face to shine upon you church the Lord grant you success. May you be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come out, blessed when you go in. 
Blessed will be your downsitting. Blessed be your uprising. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name.